Hello, this is Pastor Sam Velez, and I'm so glad that you're joining us for our service. We hope you enjoy this message today, that it blesses your life and your families. We love you. We've been on this series called The Greatest Summer Ever, and we've been talking about freedom, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, um, because we all have a desire to be free. Nobody in this room desires to be bound by anything, whether it's by money or bound by addiction or food or whatever keeps you bound. Nobody wants to be bound. We all desire to be free. And, um, but the, here's the thing. You, you have to want to. You have to want it bad enough. And on Thursday was the NBA draft. And if you're a sports fan like me, uh, uh, the NBA draft and the NFL draft, I, loved, I love it. I love watching it. And so we were there watching the NBA draft. If you're a Spurs fan, Victor Wembanyama was, 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 Wemby was, was drafted and everybody's excited. Um, but I, I began to think about it and I began to realize that, man, anybody that we admire from afar that's, that's great or that, whether it doesn't have to be sports, it could be music, it could be writing books or whatever it is. What we love about them, we, we, we love everything, but you have to understand something. It started by them wanting it bad enough. To do whatever it took to get to that place. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be in the NBA. Obviously, I didn't make it, right? But I wanted to be in the NBA, so I played basketball all the time. Uh, we, we used to live on this street called Ficus, and that was probably me and my brother's, probably the best house, right, Andrew? Probably the best house we've ever lived on. If I could buy it just, just to have it as a property, even if I don't have to live there, I would, I would buy that house. But in, that, in front of our house, we used to have a basketball court. You know back in the day when kids played outside more than they were inside? Nobody remembers that, but anyways. But in front of our house, our neighbor, his name was Jose, and Jose also had a basketball court. And our basketball courts would face each other. So we would play almost like a full court. It wasn't full court because it wasn't that long, but we used to play all the time. And because I wanted to be in the NBA, I was always playing basketball outside. I was shooting outside. I, was, I, was, I would pretend I was Michael Jordan outside. I would dream outside because I wanted to be in the NBA so bad, so bad. Even though I didn't make it, I, I wanted it so bad. And I was willing to do whatever. I was willing to play outside. I was willing to run. I was willing to do whatever the coaches told me growing up playing sports. I was willing to because I wanted it bad. And there are things in your life that, you're, that you have to be willing to do to get what you want. Whether it's in business, whether it's in your personal life, there are things in your life and you have to want it. You have to want it. That's why the title of my message is, I want it. And freedom has to be at the top of your list. That you, you See, Pastor, I want it. I want freedom. I want to be free from the things that keep me bound. I want to be free from maybe there's a mindset, there's thoughts that keep coming to your mind that you can't let go of. There are things you have to want it. And what I love about God is that a lot of things that we, sometimes the things that we want, God needs. See, Hannah wanted a baby, but God needed a Samuel. He needed a Samuel. There are things that God puts on the inside of you that you want and God needs. There are things in this world that's happening all around us, and you're like, man, I really want, you know, I don't know. There's people that don't have uh, health insurance and all things, but I, I want a clinic that can provide for them. 
And without you realizing that's what God needs and you're that person. You were birthed for the moment. So many times we say things like, man, somebody should do this. Somebody should do that. Without ever realizing that maybe, just maybe, God needs you. That's why I use the example of Hannah. Hannah wanted a baby so bad, she prayed about it and prayed about it. And without her realizing that even though, yes, God gave her the baby, but God needed the Samuel to set the people in motion to hear from God again, to anoint the kings. He needed a prophet, and it was Samuel. And we can only get to those places by wanting it bad enough. By willing to sacrifice what we have to sacrifice. By willing to let go what we have to let go. In order to receive the very thing that we desire. And freedom's one of them. Not just for our personal life. But I believe that God desires freedom for everybody. And God would use a group of people in this room and those watching online to be people that bring freedom wherever we go. This week, I was in McAllen for a couple of days. No, three days we were in McAllen. And um, the Lord dropped this, this passage while I was in my hotel room, and I wanted to share it with you. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Nehemiah 1, 1 through 11. And then, we'll be, and then I'll stop at chapter 2, uh, 3 through 5. Or one through five, it doesn't matter. It says this, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, was one of my brothers, came to visit with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what You told your servant Moses, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me put it in into his heart to be kind to me in those days i was the king's cupbearer early the following spring the month of nisan during the 20th year of king artaxerxes reign i was serving the king his wine i had never before appeared sad in his presence so the king asked me why are you looking so sad you don't look sick to me you must be deeply troubled 
Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God, to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king with the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I will be gone, the king agreed to my request. And I'm going to stop there. As you can see in this moment, Nehemiah is, is not in Jerusalem. He's not in Judah. He's not with his family. But when he hears the news about what's going on back home, he comes to the realization that, God, we have to do something about this. Our city's in ruins. Our people are broken. They have been in captivity. And he was the, the Bible says that he was the cupbearer. So he was the one that would drink because you have to understand at those times they were always trying to assassinate the king. So he was the one that drink in case there was poison. And he would be the one that would take it all. He was, and here's the thing about Nehemiah. Nehemiah wasn't just the cupbearer. His position was a position of authority. He would eat at the king's table. He was at a, a, a high position. But the Bible says that even in his high position, he came to the realization that he had to go. And help rebuild what was broken. He had to go and do something. He wanted it. And if it took him leaving the comfort of the kingdom, that's what it was going to take. For him to help rebuild what was broken. He wanted it. He wanted it really bad. And I wanted to share this passage because if me and you want to see things change in our city, in our family, we have to want it. And it starts by the Bible says that he wept. He wept. See, because you cannot change what you don't have a burden for. When you don't have the burden for it, it will never change. It is when God puts a burden on the inside of you that the change happens. I have to to ask you the question, when was the last time you actually cried for something that was outside of your own problem? When was the last time you actually cared about something that broke you? I'm not talking about, you know... And maybe that's for you, but you know, the, you know, in the arms of the angel with the dogs and they're like sad and hurt, you know, that, that's, that could be it. But what I am saying is, what is it in your life? Because we all desire, we all desire good things for our family. We all desire a good life. But if you don't have a burden for it, you cannot change it. And you have to ask yourself the question, you have to define, what is it for you? What is it? What is the thing that is burdening your heart? Is it a city? Is it family members? Is it the poor and the addicted outside? Is it the students in your school? What burdens you? What is it? When people ask, man, how do you know what God is like pushing you towards? I always tell people this. You know it's God because every time the subject comes up, there's something in your spirit that leaps. And you can't shake it. It leaps. That's how you know it's God. That's how you know, okay, God, maybe I need to do something about this. 
Maybe, maybe, we, we, maybe we need to invest in this. Maybe we need to give towards this. Maybe you're not called to build wells in Africa, but you can invest in them. But what is it that burdens you? Is it the people that you surround yourself with and you're there with them all the time and it burdens you on the inside because you're like, man, God, if we don't do, so, do something about it, they're going to be lost forever. The Bible says that he wept, church. He cried for his city. He was far away in another land. And that was the first reaction that he had. That man, God, why is this happening to our people? And I'm sure he felt it because he was living a good life. He was eating good food. His job was, was dangerous because the moment you drink poison, we know what happens. It was a dangerous job, but he had all the things that we desire. But he realized that wasn't the thing that was going to change anything. And so after today, I, I, I want you to start, I, I, I want to challenge you to define your it, to define what it is. To define what is it that God is burdening you for? Is it for, is it for the addicted out there? And you got to find an organization to help? Is it the people in prison out there? In Kingdom, and we have two guys that every Sunday they go and minister at the, the juvenile village, the juvenile center. Every Sunday, they go and they minister there because they have a burden for students. There are guys in that place that are living hopeless. There's guys, they were telling me there's a guy that's like 17 years old. He already has kids. And he's of age now, and now he has to go to court to see whether he has to go to the actual big boy prison. And we don't think about those things because sometimes what happens is we get caught up with our own life, our own things. But God put it in their spirit. So every Sunday, they go and they minister over there. And they invite them to church. They offer them salvation and kids are getting saved in their church. You should clap your hands about that. you're a woman they need more women to minister to the girls there there's not that many but you have to define your it you have to recognize that there is there's god puts things on the inside of you not so that you can wish and hope something can change no but that you could have the ability to say okay what can i do to help change that like I said, maybe God's not calling you to get into the middle of that, but you can't support with your money. You can't find other people to be a part of it. Or you could be the one that goes. Whatever the case is, whatever it is, whether it's here in Laredo, or God calls you somewhere else and puts a burden on the inside of you, 
makes it leap. And when people ask you, why? Why are you doing this? Because God told me. Why? Because God told me. But you have to define and you have to have a burden. You have to realize, some of us in this room, we have to realize, God, break my heart again. Not break my heart in a bad way, like where I feel sorry for myself. No, break my heart again for the people that are around me. Maybe your first step is reaching that neighborhood that you live in. God, use me to the nations. Okay, use your street and tell people. Whatever it is, church, let there be a burden on the inside. And the second thing he does, he doesn't just weep. The Bible says that he begins to pray and he begins to fast. He weeps, he he gets the burden on the inside, the desire, and then he begins to pray about it. He doesn't act aimlessly and out of impulse. He goes to God first. So many people want to skip God to go do what they need to do, and they end up falling very hard. And he goes to the Lord first, and he begins to pray to God. He begins to say, and we saw the whole thing here. There's like paragraphs of his prayer to God. And he begins to pray, church, to God, for God, in, to God in God's person, God's purity, and God's promises based on those three things. If you see it, he's praying based on God's person. He's praying on God's purity, based on God's purity and God's promises. On God's person, he's recognizing who God is. Because when God shifts something in your life, when God puts you in a place and you get the burden, there's going to be moments where the enemy is going to distract you and discourage you to make you feel like that's not, you're not enough for it. But when you can learn to recognize who God is, everything's possible. When God was calling Moses to set the people free in Egypt and Moses got scared in the moment, God said, tell him the I am sent you. Let them know that the I am is going forward. Let the people know I'm the one that's sending you. And it's recognizing who God is. The Bible says this in Psalms chapter uh, 18, verse 30. I want you to read this, talking about the person of God. Psalms 18, verse 30 says this. It says, God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. That's who our God is. He's that God. When you're wondering, God, how are we going to do this? Remind yourself who God is. Remind you, tell yourself, God, you are the shield. God, you are the provider. God, you are the strength. Remind yourself who God is. And then the Bible says that Nehemiah doesn't just recognize who God is. He begins to ask for forgiveness. He begins to confess. And he's not just confessing for the people in Jerusalem. He says, man, me and my own family, we've sinned, God. We've sinned. 
Church, we have to be humble enough to recognize that we don't have it all together. It's not to, for you to feel condemned, but it's to recognize, you know what, God, I have sinned. You know what, God, I, I, I've, I've failed you in these things when I should have been faithful. The Bible says that God is, is um, he, the Bible says that God is willing to forgive it's not that you're going to be like, man, I hope God forgives me and, uh, well, I'm going to try to ask him. No, no. God is willing and faithful to forgive, the Bible says. But it comes with us recognizing God and recognizing who we are. So he begins to tell God, God, forgive, forgive our people. Forgive. And then he begins to, God, forgive my family. Forgive us. We have sinned. We've sinned. And he begins to confess all the things that they were doing. God, we, we, we messed up. It's not your fault, God. I did that. Because so many times what happens is we, we, we try, we, if we're not careful, we begin to play, blame God. Well, God, it's because of you that this is happening. Well, God, because of you, this happened and this, this is. And it's never God's fault. God's given me and you the ability to decide what we do with our life and how we do it. You're not an animal that doesn't have reason. God created you perfectly in his image to go and make decisions, to go and do what he's created you to do. So when you're blaming God, what you're doing is you're using God as a scapegoat for your own problem. But when you begin to recognize God, you know what? It's me. It is me. It's nobody else's fault. Because if not, we do the blame game. We want to blame everybody else but ourselves. It's me. God, you know, Nehemiah begins to pray like that because he knew he needed to be in the right position in God's presence. God, I need to be clean. I need to be right with you. Look at the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says this, it says, work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Work at living in peace with everyone. And work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. In other words, desire. Maybe this message isn't even about people. Maybe this message is God. I just I want to be holy. Help me, keep me, give me the strength to say no to the things I'm always saying yes to that brings nothing but burdens and problems in my life. All it does is bring depression. All it does is brings me sleepless nights. All it does is, does, you know, whatever it is that's outside of God's will will never fulfill your life. But when you are in the will of God, you find every fulfillment that you thought you never would, would never have. Because that's the God that we serve. A God that fulfills a God that fills the need. A God that provides. When I'm in the will of God, I find the blessings of God everywhere I go. But it comes by recognizing God here. Here it is. God, here it is. I, I give it to you. I don't want, I, I want it. I want it, God. I want it. I want to be free. I want to be clean. I, I want to have a desire for you. I don't want to taste for all the things that I have a taste for. I want to taste for you, God. 
but I got, you got to want it. He prays based on God's person, God's purity, and then he prays based on God's promises. The Bible says that God's promises are yes and amen. The Bible also says that God is not a man that he should lie. So when God gives us promises in his word, it's because they're supposed to come to pass. Not once have I seen the promise of God fail anybody. But they've always been fulfilled. Not once. When you begin to know the promise of God, when you begin to get in the word of God and find out what he promises for your life, that should be the trigger and the foundation to say, okay, God, I'm stepping this way because your word says you promised me this. God, I'm stepping this way because your word says you promised me that. I'm going to move. I'm going to do this. I'm going to invest in this because like Pastor Alex says, when Pastor Alex talks about money, it gets, for some people it's uncomfortable. For me, it's not uncomfortable because I know what the Bible talks about when it comes to money. When he says, press down, shaking together, running over, that is a promise from the Lord. That when I give to God, God gives back to me. God blesses my home. God says it in, the, in Malachi. He says, test me. Other words, God's like, challenge me. And for some of you, the next six months, I want to challenge you. Maybe money makes you uncomfortable. Give to God and watch God bless your home. Watch, watch God open the door that you thought was never going to open. But because you were faithful in what God said and you trusted in the promise of God, you got to see everything that, that you were believing for. In fact, you gave me an idea. I'm going to do a series on money, God's way. Because I want to help people. People have this stigma of like, oh, the church just wants my money. The church doesn't want your money. If you read the Bible, it is an act of worship to God. I don't know when we'll do it, but we'll do it. Maybe I'll do it in October since everyone's scared of money. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. Actually, yeah, I'll do it in October, Alex. <laughs> Anyways, the Bible says this concerning the promise of God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 145, verse 13. Psalms 145, verse 13 says this. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord always keeps his promises, church. Don't let the enemy make you think that God will fail you. Don't let the enemy, every time you come on a Sunday, make you think, well, it might work for Pastor Sam, but probably won't work for me. No, 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 no. Don't let the enemy lie to you. God's promises are yes and amen. His word says that the Lord always keeps his promises always it's not humans because we used to promise all the time as you were a kid whenever you did pinky promise did you ever really do it no not all the time but god says the bible says the lord always keeps his promises the bible says that he wept he prayed and then he stood and did something about it he did something the bible says that he gets the courage he prays and the king's like why are you sad and he uses the opportunity 
to tell the king, hey, this is what's happening. I, I need to go and help rebuild. I need to go and help rebuild the walls. I need to go and help because my people are in ruins. My people are suffering. There's not a wall. You have to understand something, church. In Bible times, the walls were there for protection. The walls were there from keeping out people. You're now, in, now you know, we, we live in modern times. You don't, you don't go, when you're driving from San Antonio, you don't see a big fortress when you enter and you meet some guards and the only time you ever see something like that is when you leave Laredo and the Border Patrol asks you, you're a citizen. And you say, yeah, you're a citizen, you know. It's the only time you see a, like, a, like a, some sort of fortress. But besides that, when you come into San, from San Antonio Laredo, you don't see any of that. But in those times, if we were in those times, and we were coming to Laredo on our horse because there was no cars, we would see the fortress. We would see the walls. It was, you couldn't just go inside somewhere because you felt like it. And so for them, for him in that moment, he's like, my gosh, my place is in ruins. My people are suffering. They don't got protection. They don't got provision. They're, they're lacking. God, I need to do something about it. Nehemiah probably thought someone needs to do something about it. And then he thought to himself, maybe he probably thought to himself, I'll do something about it. Might as well be me. I'm the one that's cried about this. I'm the one that's prayed about this. Might as well be me. I'm a cupbearer, but might as well be me. I'll, I'll, I'll go and I'll gather the troops and we'll, we'll, we'll build this again. We'll rebuild the walls together. But he did something about it, church. That was his preference. That's what he preferred. You know what? I'll, I'll do it. And sometimes, that sounds something, church. Uh, the th- a lot of times, the, the things that we, that we want, man, the things that we want, God also prefers for your life. He prefers them. God, God will put things in your life because he wants that for you. But he won't force you. God will not force you to do anything. You could have a burden today to give $10,000 to this organization out there. But he's not going to force your hand to send click online. You could have a burden today to say, you know what, Pastor Sam? I'm going to tell my whole neighborhood, wherever I live, I'm going to knock on their door. I'm going I'm to tell them about God. I'm going to invite them to church next Sunday. He can put that in you, but he's not going to force you to walk those steps to their house. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody has to walk. Somebody has to knock. Somebody has to invite. When we did our outreach, we did that for three Saturdays in a row before the big outreach when we did in the South. We were there every Saturday morning from like 10 a.m. to 12, different neighborhoods, Knocking and giving flyers to the event. Inviting people. Somebody has to do it. For three Saturdays in a row. I didn't have a Saturday to... I remember thinking like, man, I forgot the last time I had a Saturday where I actually just like slept and chilled all day. But we did that because there's a burden church for souls. We want the save Laredo to be reached. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to know that there's freedom for their life. 
At this church, we want that for everybody. And we're willing to do whatever it takes for it. Bible says that when Nehemiah, if you notice after the last thing in chapter one, before you go to chapter two, before we, it shows that, that Nehemiah goes before the king and he, he asks him, can you give me, because the, the team, the, if you see, if you study, the king gave him a season. He said, okay, you can go for this much and you'll be back, right? Like he's like making sure he's coming back. He said, yeah, yeah, give me this much season and I'll come back. But before that, he says that he was the cupbearer. And it, and, and it, and it ends kind of like, okay, you said that at the beginning. Why do you need to state it in the end? We have to understand something, church. Whether he was the cupbearer, a soldier, a cook, in the eyes of God, titles do not matter. Don't believe the lie from the enemy to make you think that you have to have this title to make this kind of impact. Oh, I'm just the, the clerk. I'm, I'm just the teacher. I'm just the, the business owner. I'm, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or whatever your title you put yourself a title in. I'm just a, I just go to high school. I go to Alexander United or wherever. I just go. I'm at Tamu. That's all I am. And so many times, what we do is we use those titles as almost like a a default. Like this is who I am. This is what's expected of me, and this is how I'm going to live my life. But when Nehemiah puts it, he's putting a stamp to let people know. Yeah, I'm the cupbearer, and I might not have everything, but that cupbearer is going to come and rebuild the walls. That single mom is going to come and help others. That teacher is going to come and impact students. Don't believe the lie of them to make you think that your title means nothing into the eyes of God. Because when God gives you the burden for it, he'll also equip you for it as well. He'll give you everything you need to do something about it. When you feel like you don't have all the resources, watch God give you all the resources. When you feel like, Pastor Sam, I don't have all the words, and God's not calling me to the city, maybe God's calling me, I need to reach my family first. And I don't have all the words. He sends us the Holy Spirit to give us the right words. The right words. I want to reach these people however you categorize them, God will give you, he'll supply you everything you need to do that. If it's just one person, he'll give you everything you need for that one person. But you have to want it. You gotta want it. Thank you so much for joining our service and for listening to us. We are located at 4519 East Del Mar Boulevard in Laredo, Texas. And we hope that you continue to be a part of our ICM family.